0: Good evening and welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Shayla Pierce. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Coming up in today's broadcast, we bring you our feature entitled "World Tobacco Day" as well as Dominican Order of Preachers 800 Jubilee. But first, here is Mahadi Boutelezi with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond today.
1: To radio, Veritas 576
2: a.m. for a change.
3: Bringing you your news headlines from Africa and beyond, church marks the feast of the visitation, discovery of a drug laboratory at Chatsworth, and insurance safety net for farmers. To mark the feast day of the visitation of Our Lady, Pope Francis urged Christians to serve other people without delay or hesitation, saying if we learned how to reach out in this way, the world would be a very different place. During his morning mass at the Santa Marta residence, Pope Francis used the example of the Blessed Virgin Mary for his reflections on the concept of a Christian at the service of others. May 31st was the final day of the month dedicated to Mary and the Pope used the day's readings to illustrate Mary's courage, her helping hand, and concern for others, and above all, her joy. A joy, he said, that fills our hearts and gives meaning and a new direction to our lives. Referring to Mary's visit to her cousin Elizabeth, Pope Francis said this is a liturgy full of joy that arrives like a breath of fresh air to fill our lives. According to Bishop Joseph Bagobiri of Kafansha, Nigeria, more than 1.3 million Christians have fled their homes in northern Nigeria to escape Islamic violence. In the past decade, about 11,500 Christians have been killed and 13,000 churches damaged or abandoned in the northeastern states of Bono, Kano and Yobe. Bishop Bagobiri attributed the violence primarily to Muslim Fulani tribesmen, although the Boko Haram terrorist group has also been active in the region. Christians are a dwindling minority in northern Nigeria, where Islam predominates. The country's Christian population lives mostly in the south. According to SAPC News reports, the kwazulu natal Social Development Department has urged parents to be on the lookout for any behavioral changes in their children. This follows the discovery of a drug laboratory at Chartsworth, south of Durban, which has been producing drugs that look similar to jelly baby sweets, suspected to be sold to primary school learners. The new drug has hit the streets of Durban. It is soft and round-shaped and comes in an assortment of bright colours to lure unsuspecting children and is said to contain a concoction of drugs. Wazulu-Natalhok spokesperson Spiwe Mplongo says they have confiscated the drugs and sent them to their laboratory to test them and determine its impact on human beings. At least 700 forced migrants may have died at sea this past week in the crossing from Libya to Italy. Thousands of migrants have been rescued since last Monday, and there have been at least three confirmed instances of boats sinking. Jesuit Father Tom Smolich, director of Jesuit Refugee Service International, told Vatican Radio's Linda Bodoni that the fact that people are drowning at sea as they attempt to seek shelter and protection in Europe is a scandal. The
2: fundamental thing to say, this is a human tragedy. And to use a phrase that I heard from somebody else, enough poetry, it's time to build the plumbing. These are issues, which we can all do better on, which Europe can do better on, to just keep letting people drown in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea is a scandal and immoral.
3: Many agencies, many actors in the game are asking Europe to open legal pathways for these people. What do you think about that?
2: Exactly right. I think some recognition that this phenomenon is going to happen. And if Europe I think it's certainly able, it's just a question of willingness, to provide pathways for a certain number of folks to enter Europe without risking their lives.
3: We're going to see more and more people crossing also because of the weather. Right. Um, we've got to prevent disasters happening. How, how else can we do that?
2: I wish I had an answer, Linda. The status quo is not going to do it. Destroying boats in Libya won't do it. Making passages safe and humane... Working with people before they come to Europe, dealing with the phenomenon of refugees and migrants in a systemic and fundamentally uh, humane way is the only way to do it.
3: Human Rights Watch reports that during the month of May 2016, Sudanese authorities have deported at least 442 returns, including six registered refugees. International law says asylum seekers must be granted the right to apply for asylum and have their cases considered before deportation. It also forbids countries from deporting asylum seekers to anywhere where they face a real threat of torture, ill treatment or risk to their life. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees has been repeatedly denied access to groups of asylum seekers in Sudan facing deportation. And finally, a bigger insurance safety net for farmers at risk of losing everything in a natural disaster is being extended by the World Food Programme. Greg Barrow, head of WFP's London office, said it was hoped that governments of countries most affected by adverse weather conditions would step in to underwrite disaster insurance that could provide security to vulnerable farmers across the world.
1: What's very clear to us at the World Food Programme is that if we can prevent disasters happening, it's much better than responding to disasters after they have taken place. And one thing we know, particularly in many sub-Saharan African countries, is that climate change has made many areas of the continent vulnerable. And so we're now looking at how we can use insurance schemes to put in place a system so that when drought hits and farmers begin to notice that their crops are dying or that their livestock is under threat, the insurance system kicks in and provides them with cash payments, which help to prevent them from ending up in a situation where they sell off all of their belongings, either all of their livestock or other belongings, or even take other measures such as pulling their children out of school to save money.
3: This is a big investment and it needs a lot of money. Uh, Where do you expect to get this money for this investment?
1: Primarily, we're hoping that national governments in the areas of the world where adverse weather conditions can have an effect on crop production, they will underwrite this initiative with the funds themselves. And the incentive for them to doing that is understanding that by investing in an insurance system that pays out before a disaster becomes a catastrophe, they are actually saving money. There are huge savings that can be made by addressing the needs of hungry people before disasters escalate. And I think this is the point here, that we want to get in there early and address the problem as early as possible, because it's much more cost-effective to address it early.
3: And these have been your news from Africa and beyond. Have yourselves a very good evening. I am Mahadi Butelezi.
0: You're still listening to The Catholic View and I'm Shayla Pierce. Thank you so much once again for being here with us. I would like also to thank Mahadi Butelezi for bringing us up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond. Coming up next, we're taking a look at World Tobacco Day. Plain packaging of tobacco products saves lives by reducing demand and more governments should follow the lead taken by Australia by adopting the measure. That's according to UN health experts. For this year's World No Tobacco Day, marked on the 31st of May, the World Health Organization, WHO, has welcomed findings showing that more than 100,000 people have stopped smoking in the Southern Hemisphere nation following the introduction of plain packaging in 2012. However, WHO's Ben McGrady says 6 million people die from smoking-related illnesses every year globally and many other measures are needed to tackle the problem. Let's listen.
4: The main message this year is get ready for plain packaging. It's an evidence-based intervention that Australia implemented in 2012. The United Kingdom and France began implementation of it last week and globalisation of plain packaging has begun. Can we say that the jury is still out? That's certainly what Big Tobacco would be saying. No, in fact on World No Tobacco Day this year, we'll be releasing a new WHO publication, which for the first time gives WHO's view of the evidence as a whole. And what we say is that there are over 80 peer-reviewed original empirical studies There are three systematic reviews of the evidence, two of them commissioned by the United Kingdom, one of them by Ireland, and now a post-implementation review from Australia. And all of this evidence points in one direction, which is to say that plain packaging is an effective public health intervention. We also think that the numbers coming out of Australia, that is numbers showing a reduction in the prevalence of smoking in Australia, and that if other countries were achieving this result, then it would be great. Can you tell me how many people tobacco is still killing every year? Tobacco use kills approximately 6 million people globally each year. It's the largest preventable cause of death globally. We talked about plain packaging. It seems like a very dramatic measure, but in fact it's just one of many. So can you describe the other measures that might go hand in hand with this new initiative? It's not dramatic at all. In fact, it's an incremental step in the context of a comprehensive approach to tobacco control. So we see plain packaging as part of a comprehensive approach. And this includes other measures like banning advertising, promotion and sponsorship, warning consumers about the risks associated with tobacco use, such as through large graphic health warnings on packaging. Prohibitions on smoking in public places or smoke free area laws, increasing taxes on tobacco products and a range of other measures that work together on different drivers of demand and address different communities within society to reduce demand for tobacco consumption. The reality is that the evidence supports implementation of the measure. It suggests that the measure reduces the attractiveness of tobacco products. The measure restricts tobacco packaging as a form of advertising and promotion. It limits misleading packaging and it increases the effectiveness of health warnings. And now from Australia we have an additional piece of evidence to show that it's reduced the prevalence of smoking there. So the reality is that the evidence is on the side of those governments that are moving forward to protect the health of their population.
0: This is The Catholic View, and I'm Shayla Pirsch. Coming up next, we're talking about the 800 Jubilee of the Dominican Order. Laudare, benedicere, predicare. Laudare, we praise our
2: Lord with
4: our
5: saints. Benedicere, we lift our voice in
0: song. Predicare. We proclaim your word to the world. 800 years ago, Saint Dominic Guzman introduced the grace of Dominican life into the world in 1216 to preach for the salvation of souls. This is the pattern set by St. Dominic in imitation of the apostles. The order of preachers, the Dominicans, is a religious order in the Roman Catholic Church, and friars, nuns, sisters, and laity worldwide continue this vibrant 800-year tradition on every continent to the present day. From November 7, 2015 to January 21, 2017, the Order of Preachers Worldwide will celebrate the 800th anniversary or jubilee of the approbation of the Order by Pope Honorius III in 1216. As the permanent delegate of the Dominican Order to the United Nations and the Order's general promoter of justice and peace, Father Mike Dib has attended a couple of celebrations in honor of the 800 jubilee. In this interview, Father Mike Deeb, OP also talks about the upcoming Dominican human rights event.
5: We're trying to make it into an event that's not a triumphal event, but more a a moment to remember and a moment of conversion for all of us because after 800 years, obviously there's lots of things that have happened, good and bad, and we want to use it as a moment to rally Dominicans together to reflect again on our vocation and to see how we can become more true to the original intuition of St. Dominic and how we can begin to really bring good news to the world through our preaching. So the theme of it is to preach the gospel, a very simple thing, but basically to remind us that we only here for the sake of that mission that we have, which is to preach the gospel, and how to do it in such a way today that we can really communicate good news. So that's the hope, and through that there are so many different activities that are happening, pilgrimages and congresses and celebrations and times for people to come together in different ways. and. uh Yeah, so there's a whole long program about it and which uh, many people can participate. So, yes, that's how we're celebrating.
0: We know that the Dominicans are practically all over the world. Have you attended any celebrations in any particular country so far?
5: Well, I've been in Rome for the opening celebration, which was last November, and then I was invited to St. Lucia, the island in the Caribbean, when they had a celebration there um, in February this year. I was also in Colombia just before that, where they had their big celebration for the, for the country. Those are the main ones that I've attended, but I will be attending several of the congresses that are coming up. I have to myself organize one of them, which is the Congress on Dominicans and Human Rights. Um, and our history there, which will take place in September in Salamanca in Spain, so I'm in the process of organizing that. I will be uh, attending several others big congress on preaching, which will take place in San Luis in the U.S. in October. And I will also attend the final big congress that will take place next January on mission, which will be uh, in in Rome, And that'll be like the culmination of the whole, of the whole Jubilee year and it'll end up with a final mass where we hope that the Holy Father will be present as well. So that's where I have been and where I probably will be. I'm sure there'll be lots of things in between that I will participate in as well.
0: Based on the theme for this year's uh, jubilee anniversary for the Dominican Order, are there any particular activities that the Dominican Orders should be doing or maybe practicing throughout this jubilee year?
5: I guess the main thing is if we would look at what are we called for and what should we be doing, and um, uh, we are trying to um, just look at what, how to deepen what we're doing already. Because there are so many things that we do do, you know, one can't put it into a box. and We need to do this or we need to do that in a small way. The more, the bigger, the most important thing is the spirit of which we do things. And are we, are we going to be um, not just remaining stuck in maintaining things, but are we going to be going to the frontiers? Because the central thing about our mission is that Dominicans uh, Dominic never wants to remain taking care of local situations. He he kept sending people out to break new ground, to go to what we call the frontiers. So that's a big challenge for us. We are the frontiers of life, of death, of, um, of the church, of faith, of ideologies. And how can we go there to engage with people we're not necessarily um, just uh, looking for continuing and maintaining things, but places where we can preach the gospel in a new way, um, and that's the big challenge for us today. How, to, there's so many areas that are calling for a new, a new preaching, a new reflection, a new way of understanding things in the world. Are we there in those places, and and how can we um, engage with with, uh new reflections, new ideologies, new uh, marginalized groups of people, um, places where injustice is flourishing. How can we engage with all of those to bring the good news? So going to the frontier this is uh, is what we're talking about. And that's where, um, uh, you know, our, our South African, uh, our Community in Peter Marisburg in South Africa is called Emma Petaweni now. in some questions about whether it's a good translation in Zulu of the frontiers, but it's meant to be uh, the place of, of um, the borders of the frontiers where we want to go. So that's what that's the main thing is that you want to try and promote.
0: Interesting, interesting. I never actually thought of that, but anyway, Father. In terms of vocations, where is the Dominican Order now? Is it Dominican Order growing? Is it just stable? Are the numbers growing? Do you see new vocations coming into the order?
5: Well, it depends on the, in which part of the world. I suppose if you look at things in the general sense, um, everywhere in total numbers, maybe it's. Increasing slightly, but, but in most of the traditional places, like in Europe and um, maybe parts of Latin America, the vocations are down, but in other parts of the world, um, in fact, there's a growth. In parts of Asia and parts of Africa, there are many, many more locations beginning to come in, but up and down whether we will get to a point where we, the overall decline is surpassed by the overall growth. We hope that will happen at some point. But um, the places where the real growth points are places like Vietnam and the Philippines and India and Nigeria and Colombia and the United States are interesting, different places there. And even Central Africa, we have been more and more vocations coming from our know, people there. Yeah, so those are the places where we growing, and of course in other places there is a decline, which is linked to the decline of the church in general as well. So what's happening in the Dominican order is not uh, immune from what's the, the conditions that are facing the church at large. So in many places where things are struggling, we manage to, to keep our heads up in the new place. The new locations are coming. I'm thinking of a place like Ireland where things have died off, now they are started to come back again. We know, I never really know why the locations grow or, or, or fall off. Um, there are many theories about it, but, but anyway, that's the current kind of state at the moment
3: in the world.
0: Now, I know that Dominicans throughout the world uh, do contribute a lot to society, not just by means uh, of, of course, uh, creating new priests of vocations, but also in uh, giving back to society by providing education. I know there's a couple of Dominican uh, convent schools throughout South Africa alone, I can imagine, throughout the world. But in a nutshell, what are the key um, activities that the Dominican Order does in, in the the countries in the world.
5: You're right that education has always been one of our main things and we see that especially with our sisters. Our sisters are associated with schools everywhere but uh, as brothers we have been involved in setting up many universities in different places. We're not quite as many as the Jesuits but, um, but we, we have a uh, few universities in many parts of the world and in some in many areas our universities were the first universities in those areas and I'm thinking about for example in Manila in the Philippines our university there was the first university in Asia and our university in uh, Bogota in Colombia was one of the earliest universities in Latin America so we've always been involved in in promoting study in universities and right from the beginning the first one of the first actions Dominic did He started the order in the south of France and uh, he sent brothers to Paris when the University of Paris had just been set up in those days, 800 years ago, and he really wanted us to be present there. And suddenly he set up communities in other university places like Bologna, which is, I think, the oldest university in Europe. And when he passed through there, he was so impressed with it that he decided to um, immediately set up a community there. So the Dominicans have always been where universities are um, at our starting point. and And then, of course, when the sisters came along, which was much later in, uh, in the late centuries, um, the main focus was providing education, especially for the poor, and... Um, and of course, to this day, uh, we remain very much associated with, um, with education. So yes, that, that remains one of our key things. But I think the other thing is that we, since preaching, a modern word for we are preachers, the order of preachers, and the main, when we talk about preaching today, we're not talking about just giving homilies in churches. We We're talking about communication. That's why maybe if we were set up today maybe we would have been called the order of communicators for communicating the good news yeah. and there are many ways in which we're trying to do that and that's through, through the uh, social media whether it be um, radio, television whether it be uh, publications mm-hmm. whether it be writing whether, whether it be through um, other forms of re- preaching and retreats and and, and going around, uh, that's why we always have many brothers who are called afternoon preachers who are going around Who are just available for making inputs wherever they can, whether it be in terms of um, the formal preaching or whether it be in terms of uh, uh, offering theological inputs and reflections which would impact on things in a new way. So the whole theory of communication is the heart of our King, and I think that one could then add to that the whole quest for justice and peace, um, even though it remains a big challenge in the order, as in the broader church, to make the work for justice and peace to be seen as a mainstream or central thing. But we have um, brothers and sisters everywhere who for in the work for justice and peace is this at the heart of our mission so many are involved in this whether we're talking about um dealing with things that economic injustice is working with the poor and trying to address the causes of that whether we're talking about um dealing with issues of of life and death challenging things like uh, the death penalty the, the life issues whether it be um Dealing with the modern day problems with slavery, like human trafficking is a big focus on that now. We have more and more dealing with the migration issues, and um, anyway, all the areas of justice and peace, and, and especially more and more the growing one is the environmental questions um, and the ecological questions. And, So Dominicans are involved in those in many places, defending the rights of people, defending the rights of indigenous people in places like especially Central America and in in, in Latin America, in parts of the Philippines, and in different parts of um, in in all parts of the world. Those are some of the key places where we can mention examples and in uh, Australia and New Zealand, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are just a few of the examples of what we're doing, but I think that um, uh, probably another area which is more mainstream is Mm -hmm. teaching theology and doing theology and helping to improve levels of theology so that it becomes not just a pie in the sky, but something that is impacting on helping the to have a connection towards the issues, questions, the questions the the world and people are having. How to improve theology so that it um, so is deepening and understanding of what God is wanting in our world. So we have Dominicans teaching theology um, all over the show, and, uh, and we and we need to be deep in what what is theology, what is faith, and how do we um, engage more? With, how do we how do we become people of faith uh, that are faithful to who Jesus um, is and, and wants us to be? So those in, in general terms, I mean, I could go on and on about many other things, but, yeah. but I think that's in general, that gives an idea.
0: Okay. And then lastly, Father, what about here in uh, Southern Africa? What, uh, this, what are the preparations like? Are you having any major celebrations in honor of the Jubilee?
5: Um, there will be a visitation in June by the Master of the Order who's coming to South Africa. And I believe that's the time and uh, celebrations are being planned. Um, and uh, I think people have done it at other levels, at local levels. And, uh, all, and I think all they are planned to have them. So I think it's a good for you to talk to our Dominicans locally there to find out the details. I don't know all the details. I'm a far away from that now. But
0: yeah. Okay, um, All right, Father. Well, wishing you a beautiful uh, jubilee, a continuation of a beautiful jubilee, and of course, blessed uh, jubilee for the Dominican Order. Like you said, you will be attending quite a number of different events in honor of this great jubilee. So do enjoy, and uh, I hope that we'll have uh, a similar uh, event, similar events also here in Southern Africa and throughout the continent, of course. But with that said, thank you so much. Well, so I,
5: well it's been a pleasure you know pray for me and pray for us i'm having to organize a big congress in salamanca and dominican and human rights and look at our, our past and our present and our future and we hope that through this we can become instruments of bringing human rights and, and justice and peace to our world so we need your prayers and your support and your challenge to help us to do that so i i hope you and all your listeners will It will collaborate with us and maybe us and maybe the church to become a a means of this good news and a sign of it. So it's hope and praise. So thank you so much for giving me this opportunity and I wish you and and all of us a good day. Thank you very much.
0: And my thanks goes there once again to Father Mike Deeb OP for talking to us about the Dominican Order 800th Jubilee. And that's how we come to the end of today's broadcast of The Catholic View. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that this program is produced and presented by Sheila Birch for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Birch.